This is the Create Love, Create Freedom podcast. My name is Allison Fisher, and on today's episode, we are going to be discussing what it looks like if you were raised in a home where you were walking on eggshells. Um, in the past, I did an episode on the effects of a borderline personality disorder mother on her daughter. And we talked a little bit about walking on eggshells. Um, in those kinds of homes where you had a parent, or sometimes it's uh, more than one person in your home, where you really had to be on high alert. You really had to understand and figure out the signs of somebody who was either going to have explosive anger um, or rage towards you, or they were someone who was going to really break down and you know, cry, be very emotional, and really point fingers towards you as it being your fault, and also shame you in that process. And so for me personally, um, my mother has undiagnosed, untreated borderline personality disorder. Um, I think if you were to ask her, she would completely and utterly deny it. But as a child, and you know, both my sister and I feel this way. Um, and I've had conversations with my father as well. And we lived in a household where we were constantly walking on eggshells. We were always concerned about how my mother would react. Um, and so we were always modifying our behavior based upon her needs so that she didn't become angry and rage or she didn't become incredibly sad and fall apart and cry, um, and then blame us. So being raised in an environment where you really had to be quiet and cautious and passive really leaves a mark on you. Um, and this is what it, what it is to walk on eggshells around somebody. Um, you have to be quiet. Um, for me, in, in my experience, my mother would work, um, in the emergency room from 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. when I was a kid. And so when she would come in at, you know, 4 a.m. or something like that, there was only a few hours before we had to be up either getting ready for school or in the summer. Um, regardless, we had to be very quiet. Uh, my mother would always say, you don't get to speak to me until I've had my first cup of coffee. And we were very quiet because you never knew who you were going to get. You never knew if you were going to get the mom where it really felt like she was mom and she was kind and thoughtful and nurturing and compassionate and gentle or if you were going to get the woman who is raging in some sort of way. Um, so that also led to a lot of caution. You know, I picked up very quickly on things that would really bother her. 
Um, and a lot of times you couldn't help it. There was always going to be something that you did that wasn't quite right. Um, and then she would rage at you. But in general, being able to read the environment and being very cautious around her was self-preservation. It was making sure that I didn't receive emotional, psychological, and verbal abuse. Um, and then I think the other thing too is being really passive. My mother was very good at raising two very dependent daughters. Um, even to this day, she tries to keep me very dependent on her, um, where I always need something from her, uh, whether it's you know, she buys things and then gives them to me or, you know, constantly asking about my finances, you know, sometimes it's out of true compassion or concern, you know, do you need money for this? And it's like, no, mom, like, I'm in my mid 30s. Um, I have a very good job. Um, you know, I run um, a couple successful businesses. I got plenty of money. I don't, I don't need your money. But from her, it's always from a point of control. Because later on, um, especially when I was in my teens and my 20s, um, it was, I was expected then to pay that back, or it would be held over my head in a way where, you know, um, she did this really great thing for me. And so then I owed her in some sort of way. So it really taught me to be nice and passive and compliant and pliable instead of really being a woman who was very secure in who she was and growing up to be both independent and dependent. You know, um, it's not a bad thing to have some relationships where you're dependent on the other person to some degree. Um, yet while also pursuing your independence, you know, whether that be career or uh, maybe some form of, of studying or whatnot, something that you do in your life, which when you combine the two, it, it creates interdependence, which is very healthy. And that really led me personally to a place where I was incredibly cautious um, and um, constantly, maybe I think some people would call it overthinking, but for me, it was just reading the room to a certain degree, um, to a very high level degree. And if it was people who were, you know, kind of insecure and whatnot, I normally got a lot of it right. But for people who are more secure, I actually got it the exact opposite. Like the way that I thought that they were doing something, um, maybe either I thought, um, you know, their kindness could have some malicious intent, or maybe it was just paying attention to those sensitivities really made me always hyper aware again, where I needed, because I constantly need to walk on eggshells in my home as a child. And like I said before, this this really leaves a mark on us, doesn't it? It really creates a situation where, whether it's in our career, in the workplace, 
whether it's, you know, as we make friends and go out into the world, um, it makes it harder to trust people because we're constantly concerned about how they'll react. And then therefore we take the really passive role. We don't step up into a position of self-leadership, self-sovereignty, um, and we tend to really downplay our own needs. And so therefore, we are not really very awakened or very conscious of what we need. We're very conscious of what others need, but not necessarily ourselves. So if you did grow up in a home where you were walking on eggshells, whether you had a parent who had borderline personality disorder, um, maybe you had an overt or a covert narcissist as a parent, um, you might do a few different things. One of those things is you might apologize when you haven't done anything wrong. Um, one of the things that I had to work on was to stop apologizing for everything. You know, it's much easier when you're walking on eggshells around a certain kind of um, volatile parent. Um, it's a lot easier to say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that, whatnot. Um, one of the ways that I've actually found that I that I break that is by doing some simple reauthoring to some of the things that I would say, like, let's say, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to be a person who's always late, but let's say there's a circumstance where you're late. And instead of saying, I'm so sorry, I'm late. Uh, you know, I apologize. Instead of saying that, perhaps saying, thank you so much for waiting. Because again, it, it gives you some of that power back. You weren't intentionally late, you know, most of us um, in different situations, especially when we know we need to be on time for something. It was an accident. There could have been some things that were outside of our control. Um, so this is definitely an indicator. You know, if you apologize constantly when you haven't really done anything wrong um, or where something was outside of your control um, or you're apologizing just to kind of keep the peace. Uh, that can definitely mean that you grew up in a home where you're walking on eggshells. Um, another um, kind of observation or uh, ability to see that maybe this was something that happened in your home was um, that to this day, uh, you consistently put other people's needs before your own. It is important to nurture and love and serve others, to put others' needs before our own. In fact, it really teaches us that, you know, it's not all about us. Um, but when you're doing so to an excessive degree, right, this can really be because in your home, in childhood, you had to walk on eggshells around somebody else. And again, when you think about walking on eggshells, that also means that your nervous system is in a heightened state. Fight, flight, freeze, fawn, right? You're in this heightened sense of awareness. Um, I think that this is one of the reasons why people, particularly who have avoidant 
disorganized or anxious attachment, you know, those of us who were secure, insecurely, excuse me, attached as children, um, we kind of consistently do this. Uh, we we're consistently in this state of a heightened awareness. So there's people pleasing, there's excessively putting other people's needs before your own to the point where you are depleted. You're exhausted. Um, you don't have a lot of creativity in your life. There's nothing left for you, for your goals, for the individual things that you go after in your life. Um, I also found myself being very brittle, very dry, um, both my soul, but also my body really depleting my body, always doing something constantly for someone else, always putting other people's needs before my own. And therefore, a lot of the times not really knowing what my own needs were. Another way that you might see that, you know, you were raised in a home where you had to walk on eggshells was that you really shut down or kind of flip out maybe when someone you care about is upset and you can't make them feel any better. So again, the shutdown is the, you know, could be a freeze response, could also be just a um, uh, flight response, right? Or flipping out could really be that um, fight response. Um, the truth is, people are going to be upset. And we can do a lot to make them feel better. But it is also not our own sole responsibility to do so. One of the things that I really found in my home growing up, where I felt like I was constantly walking on eggshells around my mother was that I was expected to take care of her emotional needs as a child. Her emotional needs were my responsibility. And in fact, if I couldn't calm her down, it was actually my fault. So know that it is good to have skills to, you know, soothe another person, to help co-regulate their emotions with them. But it is not your responsibility to make sure that they get to that state, right? Now, as parents, you know, um, who are trying to raise a secure child, it is our job to co-regulate with our kids, to hold space for them, to allow their emotions to flow freely, um, and to be there when the child is upset, right? And to help them regulate their own nervous system. But when it becomes an extreme form, it's either we completely emotionally shut down or we become frenzied. We kind of freak out a bit about it, right? Oh my gosh, they're just so upset. Well, that's also not going to help, right? So know that if this is something that you do, there's a really wonderful opportunity here for each of these things. Um, but especially if, you know, you have this one, um, where you, where you can't seem to kind of get somebody back to an equal librium, 
the truth is you're probably not going to be able to get them to an equilibrium if you are also not at an equilibrium. If you shut down or if you are frenzied and freak out. So part of that is really taking responsibility um, for yourself and for your nervous system and calming your nervous system so you can calm someone else's. Another trait of growing up in a home where you were walking on eggshells um, could be that you experienced anxiety and overwhelm, um, or that, excuse me, you currently experience anxiety and overwhelm when you're with a group of people. I think some of this can have to do, again, with our attachment styles. Um, As I have healed my anxious attachment, I feel much better being around a group of people. Um, But I also am someone who knows that I'm introverted. Um, On the Myers-Briggs, I'm an INFJ. And so I know that I can get a little testy if I haven't had enough alone time. Now, I can also struggle if I haven't had enough time with other people right? Especially in deep, meaningful conversations. But I think it's really helpful to really look very deeply at your personality type and really look deeply at those times when you experience anxiety and overwhelm, especially when you're with people. Um, I know for myself, like I said, as an introvert, I tend to do fine in larger groups Um, but I also know that there needs to kind of be a time limit or at that time when I start to feel a little overwhelmed, I say, oh, this is the perfect time for me to exit, go home, um, read, take a hot bath, um, you know, have that time to restore. I think that this is particularly true for fours, fives, and nines on the Enneagram. Um, there could also be some other, you know, kind of um, types on the Enneagram, but I especially know those three. We tend to do fine in social situations, especially if we've set up our lives and our schedule, our environment, so that we can, we have a little bit of rest built into that. But if you are someone who really experiences a lot of anxiety and overwhelm when you're um, in, you know, a large group of people, medium size, small, you know, whatnot. It could also be due to having lived in a home where you had to walk on eggshells, where you were constantly aware of someone in your home, as I said before, having explosive anger or that kind of really falling apart, crying kind of thing. Um, And what this does is it really heightens our awareness of everyone else around us. So when we think about that, and we're in a large group of people, that means that since childhood, we were really trained to seek out any of that danger, right? We may not in our brain kind of think of it as, oh, this large group of people could be very dangerous for me. But that's how our body has learned to cope with it. Um, This could be even emotionally or psychologically dangerous for us. So when we're in a group of people, we're constantly reading them. This can easily create anxiety, right? 
um, based upon the feedback that we're getting, but it can absolutely cause overwhelm. So as you start to notice these things about yourself and you're looking to recover from living in uh, this type of home, you know, where you're walking on eggshells as a child, um, it's really important to be very curious about your experiences when you're around a group of people and begin to put some tactics in place where either you can learn how to to regulate your nervous system and calm yourself in that space, in that group of people, or limiting how much time you spend in that group, um, and or really giving yourself some space at the end of that. Because it really does take time. If this is the kind of home that you grew up in, it's going to take time to get yourself to a place where you know, you're no longer having anxiety and overwhelm when you're in a group of people. You can get there because I have done so, but it can take time. Um, Another, or I should say the last um, indicator, at least for me, is that you avoid conflict at all cost. So again, if you were in a home where you had to constantly walk around concerned that a parent would explode on you, um, become excessively aggressive, um, become excessively um, emotional for no reason, you're going to learn that conflict is not a positive experience. In fact, it's usually a shaming experience. Um, When I personally realized that conflict is not only an okay thing and a good thing in a relationship, particularly an intimate relationship, but also friendships as well, but it's actually necessary to build and strengthen a healthy relationship I realized that I had to learn how to navigate conflict. And again, this is something that took me quite a while, multiple years to really learn how to do. Because part of it is you can get the information, you know, by taking a course or online, you know, um, social media, whatnot, but, you know, YouTube, reading, researching, you know, doing that kind of thing. But it takes time partly because you have to be, you have to have in the moment experiences and you have to have a lot of them. And then you have to learn how to regulate your own nervous system while in the midst of the actual conflict. So if you are someone who avoids conflict at all cost, Um, this is really due to conflict being a huge danger to you as a child, right? But the beautiful thing is that by learning some new tactics, um, you know, starting with one or two, when you're in a situation of when, you know, conflict comes your way again, because it will, um, utilizing a couple of those tactics. And once you get them down, I would suggest putting a couple more in your arsenal, right? Um, 
so that you can kind of constantly build on that. Because what I have come to find years later is that conflict was not modeled in my home in a way that uh, conflict was dealt with in a healthy way uh, in my home as a child. But what I have found is that it is one of the key fundamental things to having successful, long-lasting, intimate partnerships that are deeply fulfilling and that I don't feel like I have to run from or that I don't feel like I have to cling to. So of all of these uh, types of indicators, right, where you may have grown up a home where you walked on eggshells, I think one of the most important things to realize is that you can heal that, these different kinds of responses that you have. Uh, We can recover from it, we can heal from it, um, and we can grow very much beyond it. Um, So, you know, part of it is just exploring these tendencies. Um, And I think part of it too is really deciding if any of these things really serve us very well. And really seek environments and people where we can practice a new way of being. Like I said, a lot of these different things, we can work on healing them. It does take time, but it also takes time because we need the real world experiences of being in conflict, of having to, you know, correct ourselves when we apologize when we haven't done anything wrong. When we say, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, you know what? Hold on. Like in the right context, in the right environment with the right kind of people, um, who aren't judging you. And, um, particularly maybe if they have a much more secure attachment style, we can say, oh, wait, hold on. I'm trying to work on not saying I'm sorry all the time. Let me rephrase that really quickly. Um, you know, being in situations, having friends where they point out to you. I do this with a couple of my friends right now who are working through, um, some, really difficult um, past relationships that have really put them in a place where they consistently put other people's needs before their own. Like the other day, uh, my friend and I were talking on the phone and I said, hey, my workday is going to end a little sooner than I thought it was. Something in my day changed. And she said, hey, I'm on my way home too. Do you want to get together for dinner? And I said, absolutely, I'd love to. We both ran into some traffic and she was in the process of menstruating and was very tired and had said so in our earlier conversation. And so she had texted me later on and she said, Hey, I know I said I'd come over at five so that we could grill together. Um, but can I come over a little later? Like I'm just exhausted and I really need a nap. And what I realized was she was trying to put the commitment she had made before some of her own needs to the point where she was depleting herself, right? She needed sleep. She needed rest. She'd had a long day already. She had sat in traffic. She was exhausted. And I told her, let's get together another time. So part of the way that you can do your own healing is by paying attention to when this shows up for other people. I'll say to people all the time, hey, you don't need to apologize for that. 
That wasn't something you did wrong. Oh, you're right. Okay. So the more that we also consistently help those around us, we can also help ourselves. The more that we consistently, you know, heal and and regulate our own nervous system and that we can stay in a calm kind of state. I also, in my mind, in my body, it feels a lot like calm freedom. Like I'm not, I'm not attached to anything. So when someone is upset, I don't shut down or flip out. I can be very present with them in that moment. Um, I can be with a group of people and not as experience as much anxiety and overwhelm. But I can also notice when somebody else in a group is having a an experience and I can ask them, Hey, are, are you all right? Are you feeling a little anxious or overwhelmed? Yeah. Yeah. I really am. You know, and then letting them know, Hey, you don't have to stay the whole time. You know, you've been here for a little bit. Why don't you, you know, do something else or go for a little walk with them and come back to the party or the group or whatnot. Try it again a different week. But sometimes when we're also aware of these things in other people, It also is a good reminder for us to do the same thing for ourselves. So I also really think that it's important to decide if these kinds of uh, tendencies from growing up in a home where you walked on eggshells um, is still serving us. And when we decide it isn't, It's also really important to start putting habits into practice where we gently, calmly, lovingly correct ourselves and where we put ourselves in environments where our friends are also helping us reinforce that. I think it's really important to stay incredibly curious and to connect with a community of people who deeply love you and are there for you as you're working on your own um, insecurities along the way. If you are interested in a community, um, I have recently opened up a members club. It is a self-guided, um, I would say community as well as learning area, learning center um, for healing a lot of the wounds and the trauma that either came up for you in childhood or just simply being adult and adult in the world today. And as I said, it is self-guided, but each month we have a topic and we release a series of videos as well as a workbook. And You can look through each of those and then also, um, you know, receive an email from us at the beginning of the month sharing what the book of the month is uh, for your personal development and self-mastery and self-discovery journey, um, as well as know what the topic is for that month so that you can go in, you can um, spend time communicating with other people who um, are sharing uh, their struggles as well as their triumphs so that they can create transformation in their own life um, and really create the life, the love, um, and 
the career that is deeply meaningful to them and that they deeply desire. So if that is of interest to you, please go to uh, createlovefreedom.podia.com. That is our website and you can click on members club right at the top of the page. You can also uh, go to Instagram. Uh, We are at create love freedom and you can click on the link in our bio and that will also take you there to the members club until next time.